the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. If you are a fan of many of the travel magazines that are out there or perhaps like to watch National Geographic as they take you into these faraway exotic places that are often filled with jungles and wild animals and so forth, you think, what a fascinating part of the world. But don't tell me that people really live there, do they? Oh, not only do they really live there, but in fact, some have adopted it as home. Joining me today in studio, no stranger to the KFAX microphones, he is the founder of Living Waters Village all the way from Borneo, and we're delighted to have Ronnie Habor with us once again. And Ronnie, Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Craig. You are gracious to be with us. I'll mention for our listeners that you have just had a lengthy flight, literally halfway across the world. It was about a fifteen-hour trip, I, I guess. I think a bit more. I think it was twenty-four. Altogether. Twenty-four yeah. hours, and then with the sleep deprivation, we invite you into our studios to tell your story. But uh, we're delighted that you're here, and, and you. great to see you again. And, and wonderful to have the opportunity for you to share with our listeners what God is doing in this part of the world in Indonesia. These are stories that we watch on travel magazines, and we are fascinated by the. by the people, the culture, what these islands look like. But to imagine somebody who travels from a very developed part of the world, Australia, and says, God is calling me and my family to go to what many would consider to be the uttermost parts of the earth and go and plant a ministry there for children, minister to them, rescue them, educate them, Bring them into an environment where they can hear the good news. This is really literally what you have been doing for 20-something years now. Yeah, 21 years, yeah. How did God first open that door? How did God take the young man originally from the Netherlands and transplanted into Australia all the way down to Borneo with a wife and children and decide, this is where, son, I want you planted to share my good news? Well, that's a long story, but I'll condense it as quick as possible. Um... I'm actually an Australian, but when I was eight, I went to Holland. My parents are Dutch, and then they decided to go to Holland when I was eight years old, so we did. I was educated there, spent there 10 years, didn't like it there, never liked it there. A lot of things, horrible things happened there, but I always dreamt of going back to Australia, which I did when I was 18. I went back by myself. There, eventually, a couple of years later in Australia, I got, um, I got married and uh, with a Dutch lady, so that was, that was good. There were some good things in Holland after all. And uh, then I... Um, um, got saved. It's uh, a long story as well, but God got a hold of me. And when God got a hold of me, I realized that there was a purpose in my life that I didn't think there was before. And so this uh, gap was filled in my life, and I was absolutely radically changed as a result of God coming into my life, allowing Him to saturate me and to wanting to use me. And I, I realized that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. And um, it was just so awesome. I just wanted to tell the whole world. And so I knew that uh, I wasn't just meant to be uh, staying in Australia, working in a factory, 
um, helping out with the church there, but God had bigger plans. I didn't know what, where, how, when. I didn't know that, but I just knew that that God wanted us to prepare ourselves for whatever he had for us. So um, uh, I lost my first wife in a car accident, and then after that I married again, and then both of us really felt that... um, we need to give up everything and we need to we definitely God called us to give up everything and to just follow him and so we really didn't know um, where to go he, he called us to go to Borneo but it wasn't clear really uh, he didn't write it all out on a piece of paper for us all the things that were going to happen I think if he would have done that we probably would have run the other way like Jonah and would have said you know <laughs> call somebody else but that's not us but just as well I mean God God knows um, your level of faith and uh, he's, he's there to stretch your faith. Uh, it, it does require of us to be obedient to the Lord and everything, so, and to be serious with God. It is not just, uh, yes, I believe in God and that's it, and then you just go and do your own thing. But here, hey, God, here I am. Uh, I want to serve you. My life is yours. You bought it with an expensive price. So I want to really do your will while I'm here. And um, I realized that my first wife, she was 31 when she died in a car accident, and I thought, you know, she didn't know when she was going to die that day. And uh, I thought, I don't know when I'm going to die. I might have a week to live, a month to live, 10 years, 50 years, whatever it is. It's still only a short speck, you know, compared to eternity. And so, but I want to make a difference. I want to, I want to really serve God. I don't want to run after money. I don't want to run after position or power or anything like that. I just want to please my God. I want to be obedient to Him. And so both of us, we decided that, that's what we want. And then God opened the door for us in Borneo. Now, I'm curious about that because, of course, p- close proximity to all of that wonderful, amazing chain of islands, I think 17,000 all told within Indonesia stretching through that part of the world. But Borneo, I mean, some people would say, well, you're there in Australia. Why not be called by God to Perth or Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah, a, lot of, a lot of people go to the Sunshine Coast. It's paradise of Australia. No? Great They're place all to there. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's like here. You go to Hawaii. God's you're called right. me to <laughs> the missions field. Yeah. Um, Look, uh, if you say, God, here I am, use me however, however which way, then you need to be prepared for that. So that's what we said. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, so we then, um, when Borneo opened up, we said, okay, God, well, I, I don't even know where Borneo is really, but uh, whatever you say. And so w- we then did a reconnaissance a trip over there with a friend of mine. And I went there for my friend, not for me really, but for my friend who had a real burden to go to one of the other islands of Indonesia. But God said... You know, all my prayer meeting one day, a couple of weeks before we left, I want you to go to Borneo and visit this, these people there. So we ended up going there, and when I arrived there, I got off the flight there in Pontianak, my heart started to race like, like anything, and it was as if I came home. I had the same feeling when I came back from Holland, coming back to Australia, uh, dreaming of this moment for 10 years, being back in my own country, and my heart started to race, and I felt really like... I'm home again. I had the same experience when I came to Pontianak. I said, God, I'm not here for me. I'm here for him. I'm here for my friend. But it became clear that God was telling me, well, you've been asking, you know, where do you want me to come to? I said, well, God said, this is where I want you to come, UNK to come. So I kept it to myself until I got back home. And I said to my wife, I really believe that God is saying that we we had to pack our bags and to go to Borneo. And she goes, great. When are we going? Wow. So she was, she was ready she knew that. What about your children? Now you, you had were they teenagers at the time? Uh, I, my daughter was eighteen. My son uh, Paul was eleven, and our youngest at that time, Nathaniel, was one. Now that's that's kind of startling news to deliver to the family. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to say, "Well, Dad, and Mom are heading off to Borneo here," and the where, <laughs> but you're coming with us. 
Um, how did the children first react to that? Uh, well, they already knew that any day, any moment, God could call us wherever, to Russia, China, who knows where. So they already knew that that was coming one day. Uh, our daughter didn't. She was 18, and she decided that she did, wasn't going to go. And she had her own life there in Australia, so she was continued to study there. So we'd have to be behind, which was a real difficult decision to make. But, sure. but uh, we felt that God was in control, and he was looking after her, so that was okay. Paul was 11, and it was a very difficult time for him because he had to leave his school and friends behind. Um, in one sense, he wanted the adventure, you know, going to somewhere unknown, and, hey, this will be cool. The other, On the other side of the coin, he didn't want to leave his friends and his, his known world and behind. And you're going to a place where the culture is different, different. the language is different, different. the surroundings are different. There's, different. there's nothing or very little, I would imagine, there in Borneo that seemed to at all be a reminder of what life must have been like back home in Australia. Yeah, it was very, very different. And uh, for the first year, of course, then you realize how incredibly different you are. And uh, with my son in particular, who is 11, 12 years old, 11 when we went there, but I remember one day we were in a with the tribal people, the tribal people there are the Dayaks and they're, they're um, animists, so they believe in all sorts of spirits and all sorts of things. And uh, we were at this um, uh, longhouse where, from the Iban tribe and um, they had a celebration. They just opened up this new longhouse that they built because their previous one had burned down. And it, it's a whole community lives in one house, one longhouse. So you have 30 to 50 families living in the one house. It, unfortunately, if somebody cooks their meal in their little section of the, the building and it get, gets on fire, the whole... The, you know, the whole village actually loses their accommodation. And so um, but this is what happened. They built a new one, and they came and asked us whether we would come and, and bless the, the new building. So we did, and my son was there, and we were sitting opposite the tribal chief, and he kept on staring at my son. He was a good-looking guy, good-looking kid, and uh, he had this chain around his neck with a shark tooth on it. And the tribal chief kept on staring at my son, and he said eventually, he says to me in, uh, in his language, he said, how much do you want for him for that? And he pointed to my son, but I thought he was pointing to his necklace. No, he meant, how much do you want to sell <laughs> well, your well, son? Well, I, I thought he was pointing to his necklace. So yeah. I said, oh, that's his. That, uh, you'll have to ask him, you know. I, I don't know whether he wants to sell it. He goes, you're the father? I said, yes. He said, well, how much do you want for him? I said, for my son. He said, yes, I want to buy your son. I said, you want to buy my son? And so my son then realized something was going on. He couldn't understand the language. He said, what is he saying, Dad? I said, hang on a minute. He wants to buy you. Just wait a minute. So he grabbed a hold of my arm and he goes, Dad, don't say anything foolish. I said, just hang on a minute. We're negotiating here. So, you know, joking a little bit. But at the same time, I realized this. This Eventually, I realized this is quite serious because I said to him, why do you want to buy my son? He said, for my daughter in marriage. I said, he's 12 years old. He said, yes, my daughter is 12 years old as well, or 13. And he said, that would be a good match. And I said, ah, uh, it's not for sale. He said, why not? I said, well, he's not for sale. And then I, I thought, then I realized, oh, gosh, I need to watch out what I say here because any moment you can, you know, by nodding the wrong way or saying the wrong thing or doing another expression or something, a deal has been made. So, and I thought, my goodness, how different our cultures are, you know. Mm-hmm. We just would never think of something like that. But uh, I still tease my son with that sometimes, as, you know, years after I say, misbehave. Yep. I said, I still the can make a deal. still out there. <laughs> <laughs> if you've just joined us today in studio with us is Ronnie Habor. He is the founder of Living Waters Village. By the way, you can find out more about this amazing ministry. Yes, indeed, right in the heart of Borneo by going online to livingwatersvillage.org. That's livingwatersvillage.org. The story of the miracle zone in the jungles of Borneo is the title of Ronnie's book, co-authored with a very dear friend of ours, Pastor 
author Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. And if you want to get information about the book, you can check it out again online at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. With us today in studio, a very special guest from a very special part of the world. Ronnie Habor is with us. He is the co-author of a new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, co-authored with Church of the Highlands' own Pastor Don Sheely. By the way, you can hear Pastor Don weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. for Daybreak right here on KFAX. Ronnie Habor, founder of Living Waters Village, sharing this amazing story of, of traveling literally from Australia to the jungles of Borneo simply because God said, go. And and as you went, Ronnie, I'm curious, was there any particular agenda in mind? In other words, some people say, okay, we have a, a vision here to uh, plant a church or we're going to build a medical facility, things of this sort. What What is it that God had put in your mind or had he even crystallized any specific thoughts in terms of what exactly now you know to where you've been called? Did you understand how or why? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, God did sort of show us that we would... I mean, these people need salvation, so um, obviously it's bringing the gospel message to them sure. somehow, some way, and then plant churches there and whatever. So that, with that in mind, we sort of left there, and we, and we started there already straight away when we, we, we come to Kuching on the Malaysian side of Borneo and started there first and then worked in the Malaysian side of, of Borneo plus uh, traveling over the border into the Indonesian side of Borneo. And... Um, uh, the, the people groups are the same. There's 400 different tribal groups belonging to the Dayaks, and they all have their own culture, their own language, and um, some are more some are more primitive than others. Some are already quite civilized. They live around the coastal areas, but a lot of them in the interior are still quite primitive, and still even today they're still quite remote and primitive. Now, I'm curious, across that arc within the Dayak population, though, are they all predominantly all animists? The, the Dayaks are predominantly animists. I mean, there are some that have become Muslim, some that have become Christian, some are Catholic, but um, the majority are animistic, yeah. And so um, uh, it, it, it was, uh, we believe that it was our task to sort of, you know, start planting churches, which we did in the beginning. But then as we started to see um, all the misery that was going on, particularly on the Indonesian side, because the, the Malaysian side, they were fairly well looked after by the government in many ways. And the Indonesian side was a different story altogether. The further that you went into the the remote areas, the more misery that you that we experienced there, and uh, the more difficult it was often to bring the gospel to them uh, because of all the poverty that you saw there. But um, at the same time, God sort of challenged us there to do something about it because I just I just wanted to, I just kept on saying God, this just doesn't make sense. We're trying to you know bring a bring the gospel to these people, bring Jesus to these people, bring you to them. But how this this poverty seems so huge, so fast. How can we change this? And uh, so we started to see all these kids that were neglected and nobody wanted, especially orphans. Uh, they were neglected because if families can't look after their own kids, they haven't got enough food to look after their own children. Then even more so for the for the orphans in their in their villages. They're sort of uh, dis- disregarded and left on their own. They're literally just abandoned, yeah. and they fend for themselves. Yeah. I mean, we hear terms like street kids here in America. These kids are literally just sort yeah. of sent off and wish you luck, and yeah. they're on their own to do as best as they can. Yeah. So, And they're, of course, sometimes they, they can survive, uh, especially if they're strong. 
But when they're, if they're weak and already sick and all that, then they won't survive. You see, over there in the, in the jungles, you'd think there'd be enough food there everywhere. You'd think that the, the trees, they produce enough fruits and, and roots and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, sometimes there is no fruit at all for a whole year. Sometimes they have two crops or three crops a year, and sometimes they have nothing for a whole year. And so when, when the families of these tribes, uh, they use their seeds for, for growing rice the next year, they use that up because they're hungry, then the, they know that the next year they're going to starve. And so that's when you'll see a lot of children will actually die of starvation and will be um, abandoned and uh, you see some dreadful situations, particularly like uh, girls when they're 11, 12 years old and they get their first period, they're married off to these old ghastly guys who want another wife. So the witch doctor then marries them off, makes a deal with these guys uh, in exchange for a couple of pigs. The parents will get a couple of pigs for their daughter and their daughters are married off. And you see these little girls pregnant already straight away and by the time they're 20 they've already had four, five, six kids Half of them are dead from neglect and the other half are neglected, you know, because they have no concept of love that's gone out the window already a couple of generations. So all these kids that we get now in our place, many of them have no concept of love at all. No, you're really coming to a scenario where it seems as if when we talk about... traveling to anywhere to share the good news of the gospel. And of course, at the at the very core of that is enveloped by this tremendous way in which God has demonstrated his love toward us, his, his willingness to look past our sin, to ultimately sacrifice his only son so that we might walk in fellowship with him, have our sins be forgiven, um, have that sense of connectivity between creator and creation. And so at, at the core of the message of the gospel is this profound love Absolutely. that God has shown toward us. And yet you come into this scenario as you're describing, Ronnie, and you think, you know, we're here trying to present this this other spirit, in a sense, since this is the animist viewpoint is that there's spirits that reside in everything. The tree has a spirit, the, the rock has a spirit, etc. You're try- coming to, to, to describe to and share with the Dayak people this other spirit who is at the core a loving spirit, yeah. and yet you look at the depravity and the circumstances in which they're living and the kind of suffering, particularly amongst these kids, it seems to me as if you're really compelled to have to do something to address these, these immediate felt needs. I mean, you see a kid starving and say, well, wait, before you die, let me tell you about Jesus. What? Yeah, and that would mean totally nothing to them. I mean, if you would just say to a dying kid who's starving, uh, look, uh, Jesus loves you, and I love you too, and uh, let me pray for you right now, uh, I don't think you <laughs> no, for sure he's not going to care one iota about what you're just saying. But if you if you take that kid in and you you care for that child and you you love that child as if he was your own, uh, then uh, very quickly that child will know uh, who Jesus is uh, after you share that with him. You and your wife Kay began doing just that. Yeah. And and some might say now, twenty years later, it kind of grew out of hand. <laughs> uh, this Living Waters Village has absolutely taken off, and it went from maybe. A, a small size, let's have a vision that we can handle here, to a vision that I would imagine has gone absolutely beyond anything you could have ever dreamt or thought of in those early days. Well, again, it was just God showing us that God doesn't give you the whole full story yet because he knows where you're at with your faith. That's why I said I would have run away like, like Jonah did. But the thing is, um, he gives you just enough to be able to handle and to stretch your faith a little bit more. So it was a process that God took through us, with us, that that hey, do I really believe that God is God, who, who says he is, and that he can do anything? You know, a lot of people believe in God, but they I, I come across so many Christians today that don't believe really that God can do anything anymore. He can do some things, but there are limits. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas that's not the case. If God created the heavens and the earth and he cre- created mankind and we're so complex put together, he can create anything. He can do anything. Now, God rescued my two children when they were in a car accident with my first wife, miraculously. And I knew from that day, if God can do this... 
you know, against all odds. I mean, even the neurologist said to me, it's absolutely impossible that your children could survive this. And yet they survived and they pulled through and they're healed completely. That if God can do that, he can do anything. And so God was already working in our lives, showing us that, hey, you know, um, I can do anything. But do you believe that? And do you, and you know, and not just believe it. How do I know that you believe, that that your faith is your is real? Is by testing you on your faith. So then you require to step out on your faith as well, and uh, and do the things that God has asked you to do. So do I really believe then? When when the Lord told us a number of years later, when we already had a number of kids in our house, look, I want you now to prepare a place for a thousand neglected children and build schools for two thousand. Now we didn't have a cent to do that. And we didn't have the resources to do that, the people to do that. But I just knew that when God said, do that, you just, we just have to start doing it. It, it. it occurs to me, Ronnie, that this is not just then simply a matter of, of having the kind of belief that God is capable of doing these things. But then this concept of surrender really needs to enter in too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Surrender in the sense that, okay, we know that God can do it, but are we willing to turn over everything to him to allow him to do it? Take my control, my ideas out of the picture, so to speak, and just say, okay, God, Absolutely. we're surrendering to you. Yes. Wow, that's, I mean, that, that, that takes your faith to a whole different level, doesn't it? When, when the Lord told us in Australia, and we, Kay and I were pretty well off, we, we, had, we were well set, we had plenty of money, we had our own house paid off, we had no debt, so we're quite young still, uh, I was only 32, and we had all this, all this stuff, we, were, we had good jobs, good paid jobs, uh, good uh, church, a family there and all that and then God told us to pack up, sell up and follow him and so we did and so now I always say to people you know I then I had all this money and I had all this stuff you know that I could um, just grab a hold of I said but now I've got nothing I don't have a house or land or anything no pension no retirement fund or nothing I said but I'm richer today than I've ever been in my life why? because I think I, I believe that we've learned to surrender it over to God if God says you know I want you to trust in me. I want you to. I want you to do this. This is what you've asked me. Well, I'm giving you this task. Now it's up to you whether you will, whether you'll be successful in this. It's not up to God. God is already there, and He's already there, ready to bless you. And this is why I always say, you know, many many Christians don't realize that their obedience to God will actually save and bless many other people. And if we don't obey God, once he's asked us to do something, then actually a lot of people are going to miss out mm. because of our disobedience. That's a scary prospect. That's a scary thing. See, all of us are going to stand before the throne of God one day, and we're all going to have to give an account. And what are we going to say to the Lord? I don't want to be in that position where he's going to be so disappointed with me because I didn't do what he asked me to do. You know, like I said, we're only here for a small, short moment in this planet, in this in this life. You know, and so, but what are we going to do with it? And as a Christian, isn't that, isn't that correct when... When we've asked Jesus to come into our lives, that we've actually surrendered everything over to Him, not just the things that we want to surrender, but everything. So my my life, my time, my resources, my family, my everything to Him, and then and then I should. So I'm here then for His business. God's business is people, people that are saved, people that are lost, mankind, and I want to make sure that you know I I don't want to. Um, people around the world to say, oh, Ronnie, well done, you know, you, 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 you've you started this up, you've been obedient to the Lord, rah, rah, rah. I want people to come to know Christ. And these kids now are coming to know Christ. I've got kids now that are in Bible college, 25 of them are now in Bible college. They want to be pastors and church wow. planters. I've got 34 in universities around Indonesia. They're our teachers. We're at school. Uh, I was just saying to Pastor Tony, we're starting up with our uh, senior high school this year, uh, which is a major step of faith. But 
Um, again, every year we see miracle after miracle happen by just stepping out of faith, trusting in God for everything, and God comes through every time. And also all our teachers, all 37 that we have at our school now, are all our own kids that have come through the ranks, and we've sent them off to university for comeback, and now are helping out with the next generation. So I, I think that's awesome to see God working in these lives. And that's what it's all about, is to rescue mankind rescuing those that desperately need Christ. And that's everywhere. That's the whole world. I mean, the people, there are unsaved people all over the world. And that's why we need, if we don't do that, if we don't obey God, you know, who else is going to do it? Didn't he ask us to do it? So, Absolutely. We, we so, ought to be the conduit through yeah. which his spirit flows and works and, and, and moves amongst people to, to impact lives with the good news of the but gospel. Too, too, too much today, I think we sort of look at what are my rights and what are, you know... What, God, what can God do for me? That's I mean, right. it's not enough to say that he saved you. And now it's like, okay, let's, uh, let's regard God as our big cosmic bellhop and see what he can go do for us. We're going to pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation with Ronnie Habor of Living Waters Village. More information, by the way, on the web at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. The book is called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, written by Ronnie Habor and co-authored by Don Sheely, Pastor Don from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. A brief time out, back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our very special guest. He has traveled all the way from Borneo to be with us today in studio. He is Ronnie Habor of Living Waters Village. Information, by the way, about the ministry online at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. The story of what God is doing in this part of the world is detailed inside the pages of a new book that Ronnie has co-authored with Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands called Miracle Zone in the Jungle of Borneo, and the book again available online by going to livingwatersvillage.com. Ronnie, I would imagine some listening might think, boy, it, it, it takes enough faith to step out and say, we're going to leave the comfort of home in Australia, the western part of the world, we're going to head down to Borneo in those early days to do what? beyond share the gospel it really wasn't a clear picture how god was going to facilitate all of this the resources all of these myriad of of questions that were yet unanswered now here you are 20 years later people would say it must have taken just enough faith to be able to decide to to yield to god and be obedient to travel from australia to borneo now in the ensuing years to have watched god bring about miracle after miracle after miracle. In the early days, you rescued just a handful of kids. Now I understand that Living Waters Village has over a thousand children in it. Not not quite yet, but we're moving towards that, yes. Heading toward over nearly a thousand children. You have a school there, and it's a self-sufficient facility as well, is it not, in terms of being able to provide a lot of this? Not quite yet, but we're working on that. (laughs) It's amazing to see what God has done and the lessons that you have learned in terms of of reliance upon him and further surrender to him must absolutely be amazing. Well, yes, I I don't look at it that way. I just look at it, God is God. So for some people, they, they marvel at you know, how come you have so much faith? And I think, well, how come you don't have so much faith? If you truly say that you that you are a Christian and that you are his disciple, then, okay, well, then he's, he's, your, he's your God. He's your Is the answer to that question a lot like the guy that works out in the gym? We know one guy, big muscle and, and buffed, and, and we go, wow, how come you have so many muscles? And looks at the other guy who does and say, well, how come you don't? And, and the difference between the two is one exercises and the other one does not. Is this a matter of exercising one's faith, that, that we grow our faith by exercising our faith? Well, I think, 
Yeah, I think um, the relationship that you have with God, of course, is that you want to know God more and more, right? I mean, we are really, uh, let's face it, we only know God just a little bit sure. really of who he is. So so then your your relationship with God, the time that you spend with him and the, and the desire to know him more and more, of course, then God is, is God and he will hear your prayers and answer your prayers. And so he will help you with that. And so it's just like your best friend. So you you... He's there all the time. He never lets you down. And so you just know that he'll come through. He says, he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to call you to do this, but I'd like to see you do it. You know, I'd like to see you uh, um, uh, raise those kids. And, and that, of course, he doesn't do that. He's, he's, he gives you a task and he always gives you the resources, but we've got to step out of faith because we've got to completely trust in him. It is not a matter of, He'll give everything in our hands and therefore, uh, okay, now go and do the job because then you don't require faith. That's right. So he, he gives you a task to do, knowing full well that you can't do it on your own. And if you do try and do it on your own, you're going to just make a mess of it. You really need him. So do you really want um, him uh, to be with you all that time? Yes, you do. I mean, I know that and I say it to my leaders over there as well. You know, this place always, Jesus has to be the head of this place. And he, we always have to be totally dependent and reliant on him for everything. So that's how I want it. I don't want it to turn into an institution. I don't want us to figure it all out. I don't want us to have it all sorted out and have it worked out and have it all planned and all that because then we don't need faith anymore. I mean, God still has to do his miracles here. We still have to believe that he's the one who's doing this. He's in charge. And isn't it that, that matter of God doing those miracles and seeing him demonstrating his love and his power and his anointing on a, on a day-to-day basis that makes the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so, so incredibly real and attractive to the very people that you're trying to reach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, certain people can, will come to the Lord with um, um, very little faith. Right, so other people need to, other people need to see a miracle in order to be able to. Hey, um. I, th- I think of, of many of the scenes that we see of the first century church, even within the Book of Acts, we see amazing stories take place, yeah. amazing movements of God, demonstration of acts of faith, and on the heels of those events, almost without exception, here comes news that the word of what God did spread aboundly, and many people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of seeing the power of God moving amongst them. So I I guess in that regard, we're still seeing God work and move amongst his people in a very similar fashion even today, aren't we? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't believe that anymore. People say to me here in the West, uh, how come God does always miracles there in Borneo or in Africa or somewhere else like that, and he doesn't do it here? I go, well, just listen to yourself. You just say yourself you don't even believe in miracles anymore, and you want God to do a miracle now here. But you're not, you're not even, even if he did, just like the people in Jesus' time, even right in front of their eyes he will do a miracle and still they'll crucify him. They didn't believe in him anymore. I mean, you still have people like that today. So, But you do, uh, there, are, there are instances where God has done an incredible, wonderful miracle at our place, and as a result people have come to the Lord. We've had young kids and, and teenagers come to us as sick as anything uh, you've got to understand the whole culture there. Uh, there's a witch doctor in every every tribe, every village. They have their own witch doctor who lords it over the people. So he holds the power over the people and puts great fear in the people. So um, lots of – I just recently, I'll, I'll share with you, a while ago we had uh, a meeting with all our kids and uh, I just felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, um, uh, just, just ask them this. And I said, who of you have got a grandmother or grandfather who was a witch doctor here in this place? 
you know, that are still alive or maybe they've passed away already. I said, who, who, who had a grandmother or grandfather? A lot of kids put up their hands. I said, come forward. I said, you stand over there. We're going to pray for you in a minute. I said, and who of you have had a father or mother that were or still are a witch doctor? And a number of kids put up their hands and I said, you come forward. You stand over there. We're going to pray for you. I said, now how many of you guys actually are supposed to be the next witch doctor? And a number of kids put up their hands and I was really shocked at this. And I said, do you want to be the witch doctor? And they go, no, we want to serve Jesus. I said, okay, well, let's, we need to break this over your life now, then, you know, this hereditary thing that you've been passed from one generation to mm-hmm. the other. And so we need, we're going to break that in Jesus' name. And so we did, and we, we prayed for them all, and we broke these things over their, over their uh, lives. And then this young girl came up to me, and she says, Pa, she said, I don't think Jesus can save me. I said, why do you say that? She goes, because when I was a baby, I was already offered to the spirit world by the witch doctor. I was placed in his hands and he lifted me up to the spirit world. And so I belong to the spirit world. I don't think Jesus can save me. I said, well, I've got news for you. He sure can save you. That's why he brought you here, so that he can break this over your life, to break this curse over your life, so that you know, so that you will know that you are a child of the Most High God. So we prayed for her there, there and then with all of us. She started to cry and... And uh, after a while, she started to laugh. But after that, she knew that, that, that you know, this over her life was broken and that she knew she was a child of the Most High God and God had a plan and a purpose for her life now. And then this young fellow came up to me. He says, Pa, he said, my dad is a witch doctor. And uh, he said, uh, many years ago, uh, we had this guy come into our village and uh, my father grabbed a knife and he, and he was a guy we didn't know. He grabbed a knife and he stabbed him there to death, saying that he was the enemy. And he said, and then he dragged the body... Uh, to the middle of the village and put him in a drum uh, of water and uh, boil him there in the, in, the, in the middle of the village. And everybody had to come out. Everybody had to view this. The little kids, the big kids, every all the adults all had to... And, he, and if the witch doctor says, you do this, then you better do that because if you don't, you dis- if you're disobedient to the witch doctor, then he places a curse upon your life and they fear that more than anything. So everybody viewed this, this guy being boiled there. And then when he was boiled enough, then the witch doctor said, okay, you eat now. So everybody had to eat some of this guy. I mean, I, I, when he was sharing that with me, I thought, oh, my goodness, I would have never thought by just looking at this kid that he had already been through some of this sort of stuff. And um, then uh, because they believe that if they eat some of the, the enemy's meat and some, drink some of their blood that they receive the sakti, they call, uh, which is super, they become supernaturally stronger than their enemy and uh, if they do go through this ritual. And then I thought, oh, God, I, just, I am just so... So grateful that you called KME so many years ago to come to this place, to build this place in the middle of nowhere, so that these kids and young people can come here and be rescued from this this evil, demonic uh, area that they're in, you know, that there is a, a place of refuge, a place of, of, of rescue here for them, you know. And I just then I thought, you know, God, I'm just so grateful that we listened to you, that we were obedient to you, because if we hadn't have done that, this wouldn't have taken place here right now today. You know, these kids would have been still lost. And uh, and so I thought, God, you know, for all of us, all Christians throughout the world, how important it is to be obedient to God. Because if we're not, there's always others who are going to miss out as a result of our disobedience. I don't know how you feel about that, Craig, but I don't know. I just couldn't stand in, you know, uh, knowing that uh, later on when we stand in front of God's throne that I should have and I never did. I get people come to me now and say, Pastor Ronnie, can you please pray for me? Because ten years ago, God called me to do this, and I never did because I just was too afraid, or I, or or, or I, I chose to go my own way. And and uh, but God has never ever. I've still remembered that every day. I should have listened. And yes, you should have. Why didn't you? You know, God will take you on a 
go on a merry-go-round if you if you don't listen. He will take you back to the same spot. Come on, guys, you should be doing what I've asked you to do because other people are going to miss out otherwise. And you'll never have a sense of true satisfaction. You'll always, I think, be unsettled in your spirit Absolutely. if you're not obedient to exactly what it is that God has called you to do, and even if it seems to be the most bizarre, strangest stretch of the imagination that you could never imagine yourself going there or doing this. Yet whom God calls, he prepares and he equips and he will bless if you're obedient. At this juncture, let's pause in our conversation. If you've just joined us on this edition of Lifeline, our conversation today with Ronnie Habor, who is with us from Borneo. He's from Living Waters Ministries. A brief time out, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. If you've tuned in a bit late, a very special guest joins us today in studio. He is Ronnie Habor of Living Waters Ministries. He and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands have written a new book, The Amazing Story of What God is Doing in Borneo, the book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Now, Pastor Ronnie, just prior to the break, we were talking a bit about some of the, the impact and the influence of witchcraft and the occult in Borneo. Tell us more about that. We had one young fella came to us, and uh, he was very much in the occult, and his whole family, and in fact the whole village there. Uh, we tried two years to plant a church there, and I remember the first time I went into the village there, and we, we slept overnight there, and um, I was under a mosquito net, and I was sleeping, but in my sleep, uh, it was as if um, somebody had a hand on my throat and was choking me, and I couldn't breathe anymore. In fact, I couldn't breathe in my sleep, so I, I, I woke up as a result of this, and I sat up on the floor there under my mosquito net, and I couldn't breathe because I felt this hand on my neck. Actually, it was real. And so I just couldn't breathe, and I couldn't say anything. And all of a sudden, I shouted out, Jesus! And straight away, the hand left me. And I realized that the, you know, the demonic forces here were very powerful. And that place there, th- th- it was just such a blanket of evilness over the entire area there. And uh, this young fellow eventually, from this area, uh, from the Matei tribe, um, he, they brought this young fellow who had, to be, uh, who had um, typhoid, uh, already quite advanced typhoid, to our place. And we put him in hospital. And then, as a result, uh, he really got, went from bad to worse. And uh, we gave him all the medication and all that. But anyway, he needed uh, a blood transfusion, which we didn't have. Sent him off to you know, cut a long story short. We, get, we got him this operation. Eventually, after a couple of uh, weeks, and uh, he, he he came through, he pulled through and uh, came to our place a couple of weeks later, weighing only 30 kilos, walked in my door, he fell on his knees, and he says, Pironi, what do I do in order to receive this Jesus? He came to me in a vision. He showed me that he's the one that I should be following. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this this fellow called Nuno, he... Um, we brought him back to health. He had huge bed sores. He could put your whole fist in there. I didn't think that they were ever going to heal, and yet they were completely healed after a while. And he, he was fattened up because he weighed only 30 kilos. And once he was, after six months, he was as good as gold. He was uh, fattened up a bit. And uh, then I said, it's, it's time for you to go back to your village. And he goes, I want to. He said, I have something to share with them. So we took him back to his village, and he, in his own tribal language, shared the gospel message to his entire family, neighbors, everybody in the village there. And as a result, because in the beginning they didn't even believe that it was him, but they realized he had a cataract eye that could see that it was him and a couple of tattoos that he had. But he was just such a different young fella. He was glowing with the Spirit of God upon him. you know. And as a result of him sharing in his own tribal language to his family and neighbors and the people in their village, so many people that day come to the Lord as a result of him sharing. And uh, now if you go back, 
you know, there's, there's this blanket of, of an open heaven there. I mean, I mean, there's such a contrast, such a difference there today. And his brother, his older brother, who was so in the occult as well, he's now the pastor of the church there. So awesome to see. That's why I say, God, you know, through miracles, the people will see the miracles that have been performed by the Lord and will believe the Lord as a result. I mean, I know some people need to see that. Others people, well, whatever you say, I believe it, you know, and uh, they, they are saved. But others, through a power encounter, they will be convinced. And, and then they start as a doubting Thomas, and then once having seen, okay, I put my finger in the side of your flesh, and now I believe. So we've got witch doctors now that have come to the Lord as a result of some of these miracles that have taken place. And, and the miracles are not, you know, uh, things that are falling out of the sky or anything, but, but just praying for people. You know, I saw my people come to my kids when they were so wounded in hospital, and they laid their hands on my children and said, Child of God, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And miraculously, my kids got healed. Now, I always thought, well, if they can do it, they're Christian, they can do it, so can we then. So when we were in, in the villages here uh, ministering to these people, and one of the witch doctors, uh, uh, his daughter was uh, sick with meningitis, was so badly sick, and we laid our hands on her, and we just said, Child of God, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And uh, she didn't get healed straight away, but that evening she was healed. And the witch doctor then realized that his power is no match to mm. his God's power. And he came to the Lord, and as a result, he's now an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He's helped us plant three other churches in the region there, telling everybody about how great this and how powerful this God is compared to the power of the witch doctors. So, Looking be- back over this experience, 21 years now, what would you say if you think back to where you were at in your faith, in your day-to-day walk with Christ, as you were leaving Australia to go to Borneo and then seeing what God has done, if you quickly just played that, that tape, that film back in your mind, Ronnie, what do you think are some of the, the biggest or most critical lessons that you've learned about the character of God that you think would be beneficial to share with our listeners? Um, I, think, I think when we say we believe, I think a lot of problems, a lot of people have... A difficulty with that what does that mean believe I mean there are so many people that say they believe in God but when I look at their example of their lifestyle I don't think they really understand who God is God wants us to know him intimately he wants us to have that relationship you can't build a relationship with somebody if you never spend time with them. That really is the key difference. I mean, I I believe that there's a president in Washington, D.C., and I've seen him on television, and I believe that he exists, but I do not have a relationship with him, and I cannot say that I know him because I don't have a relationship with him. Same thing when we we speak of God? Absolutely. And and so you've got to be able to spend time with him. You've got to be able to spend, you know, and a lot of people say, well, how do you do, I mean, I, I, I just think that's strange sometimes when Christians ask that. But in a way, I, I understand as well. But so many people don't read the Word of God. You know, I, I just found out some statistics just before, a couple of months ago, that 80-something percent of Christians throughout the world don't read the Word of God. Or once a month, maybe. And I think, well, how does that work? I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand. You want a relationship with God. You want to, they ask me, they say to me, God never speaks to me. Are you, well, hello? Are you reading the Word of God? God never speaks to me. I never hear from God, or, or God never shows me a vision. Well, are you hungry for God? Are you seriously wanting to know Him? Then read the Word of God. Pray, seek His face. Hunger after Him. No, yeah. 
David was characterized as a man who had a heart after God, and clearly that passion has to be followed up by immersion into God's Word and into prayer and engaging in that faith walk that's willing to step out beyond the borders of my comfort level, beyond the things that I know I have control over. You spoke earlier of the fact that um, at the point at which you were preparing to leave um, Australia for Borneo, that you had a home that was paid off, you had money in the bank, that those kinds of things that we tend to sort of gather around us that give us a sense of, of safety and security. If something happens, I have a fallback plan. To step beyond all of that and say, here I am, there is no safety net, there is no fallback plan, the only thing that I have to rely on and in which to put my trust is very God himself, nothing more, I think that's the point at which we begin seeing God do the miraculous in our lives, because we're willing to to surrender enough of ourselves that God can say, okay, now that you have begun to trust me a little let me show you ways in which you can begin to trust me a lot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's true, exactly. And, and God will give you those opportunities. Then you see, it doesn't just happen. You know, um, you, you got to take it, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, if you're asking for something, then you know, I often ask God, give me the experiences that I need to have in order to be able to grow in you. I mean, otherwise, how am I? How am I going to know? You know, uh, even at the point of spiritual warfare, and, you, and you've touched on this topic around the periphery, you're ha- going to have to understand that as you march into that spiritual warfare, you, you, you've got to go and you've got to reclaim that territory. The Bible goes as far yeah. as to say we have to take it by force, but take it with violence in, in, in the spiritual realm. And a lot of people are afraid to go out and do that. We, we expect, you know, God is going to move and we just want to sit back yeah. with our arms yeah. folded and watch God to move. And somehow we're going to be swept up in all of that. Yeah. When so often, at least this has been my faith walk experience, as much as we say we're praying and waiting upon God. The reality is that God is really waiting upon us. Yeah. And, I, and I think the other thing is that a lot of people question God about everything. And I think I think if once people start to question God about everything, then it shows them really their level of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, you know... Also some you, confusion about the sovereignty of God. Yeah, you don't need to know everything. I, I've learned over the years that, look, God is God. And so he does it the way he wants to do it. And so, I mean, it's like with my first wife when she died. She'd just become a Christian 18 months before. So after World War Three at our place, you know, I became a Christian way, way, way before that. And when I became a Christian, all these problems came in my house rather than were solved. You, you, you know, were so, home and she thought you were crazy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, so um, but then I realized I don't need to know every if, – if, if I've surrendered my life to God, then God is the one who will lead my – I want God to lead my life. You know, I want him to lead me by his Holy Spirit – and so I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know why he does what he does. He is God, and I trust in him completely. And um, and I'm sure, um, because he's my dad, that he that he nothing will happen to me without his permission. You know. So I'm, one of my kids, or one of the local kids there, a couple of years ago, said to me, "Dad, it's three times now I've dreamt that they were going to shoot you." I said, "No one's going to shoot me. No enemy's going to shoot me." I said. Uh, um, without God's permission, I said. Without God, I'm not saying that, he's, that I'm not going to be shot. I'm just saying without His permission, God will decide when it's my last day. I believe that if we're in the will of God, then He decides when it's our last day, not the enemy. So, uh, but we need to, you know, it's up to Him. Um, he calls us to do certain tasks, and He gives us all the resources when we believe that and we step out in faith. He gives us all the resources that we need that we require. 
in order to complete the task. We don't have to doubt God for that. We know that he will do that in his timing. Sometimes we think God's a little bit slow. You know, we'll have to remind him now and again about all that. But again, that's also a, a time of, of, of uh, our faith growing, testing our faith to see where we're at with all that. But um, uh, God is there. He loves us immensely and he wants to use us and he does if we allow him to, if we surrender to him. And so don't need to question God about everything. I mean, there's a lot of things. I often say, you know, I don't understand why God does, why he took my wife or why he does this, why he does that. Why does God heal one person when we pray for them in Jesus' name and the other one not? We've, I've got children in my place. God has touched their kidneys. The kidneys were shot to pieces. And God gave them new kidneys. That even the, the specialist, the kidney specialist said, well, this is a walking miracle here. A walking miracle, brother. And, and yet another one died in my arms. An eight-year-old little girl with shot kidneys, and she died in my arms. Well, God, why didn't you save this one? Well, I don't, God doesn't need to explain himself. For whatever reason, he's allowed that to happen now. You know, we're, we're there, you know, under his, under his guard, under his protection, under his authority. And so he's our father. And I often say, you know, later on when I, when I die, when I get to heaven, I'm going to make the Lord a nice cup of coffee and I'm going to ask him all these <laughs> questions. You know, maybe I'll get the answers, maybe not. But, you know, don't, don't need to question God. Just do it. Just, just, trust. just trust. Just get out there and do it. Ronnie, we appreciate you coming in and sharing. And for the benefit of our listeners who would like to hear more of this amazing story, The Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, um, you can get a copy of the book by going online to livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. Ronnie Habor from Living Waters, thanks so much for dropping by and sharing, brother. Thanks for having me, Greg.